Hello, and thank you for joining us again on Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And this week, we are discussing episode 10 of season four, The Nanny and the Professor. Mm-hmm. And that refers to what? Um, Tobin the Nanny and Paris's new boyfriend. Is he a boyfriend? Can we even call him that? I think she does refer to him as boyfriend later on, doesn't she? Later on, but at this point, can we even refer to him as that? Okay, the nanny and the gross. <laughs> there you go. Much more fitting. <laughs> um, yeah, did you ever think when you were re-watching this that you would see Tobin again? Honestly, no. Like, why the fuck did they bring Tobin back? And I think we made this clear the first time that Tobin appeared. Um, he, Yeah, we don't like him. Like, I understand why Michelle hates Scuts, because I don't like him either. Honestly, there is no love lost between Tobin and Michelle. Like, I feel like we're supposed to kind of turn, like, raise an eyebrow at why Michelle hates Tobin so much. But I'm like, no, I hate him too. Like, There you go. <laughs> the gays hating the gays. <laughs> but, like, oh, wouldn't you, like, even if I met him in real life, if, even if he wasn't, like, competing with my group of ladies, like, no. My group of ladies. Like, I don't like you. You're annoying. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny. My group of ladies. Nope. Nobody wants oolong tea. I'm sorry. Like, fuck off. Oh my god, the way he said oolong was hilarious. Just a nice little oolong. <laughs> oh god. The kiss um, ass. What? Kiss ass. Kiss ass. Yeah. Um. Okay, so first scene is the whole calls de sac. And you know this is my favorite. <laughs> I know. You brought it up to me before. I don't know why, but I feel like this episode in particular is one of my favorites in season four. Like, just for no reason. I think it's because, I think it's because there's a lot of pop culture references that I actually get. So I'm like, oh, I get that. It's funny. Ha <laughs> ha. All right. Um, so I want to know how the fuck Lorelai discovered Calls the Sacks anyways. Honestly, how many times in your life are you going to use the plural of Calls the Sack? Well, exactly. Unless you're speaking French. Even then. <laughs> we speak. But yeah, I was about to say, even then. Like, nobody gives a fuck. And I've never referred to a cul-de-sac even in French in the plural form. Mm-hmm. Like, when would you refer to it in the plural form? I don't know. But I think that's just a lovely little Sherman Palladino little sprinkle that you she know, likes to throw in. Bring me at Friday night dinner. Mm-hmm. She was like, nobody ever corrected you. It's like, when am I having these conversations? <laughs> With, like, the city planner? Like, what the fuck? When do you think I'm talking about a cul-de-sac? I want, I love, I'd love to know how that topic of conversation between her and Rory came up. Like, Exactly. Why are you guys talking about cul-de-sac? Like, is there a lot of cul-de-sac in your neighborhood? There are in mine, as a matter of fact. But... I know. I've been to your neighborhood. I still don't know how to get there without my GPS, but I've been there. <laughs> That's why, because there's so many cul-de-sac that are... You know what? It does sound wrong. I don't know. In conversation... Yeah, French. <laughs> and by the way, the S is silent in French. So in French, it's pronounced cul de sac. Yes. Cul de sac, whatever. In the in my Quebec accent. Your lovely Quebec accent. But you get the drift. So it is French. Mm-hmm. America, you are not the only country out there. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief. God damn it, America. But yeah, <laughs> so... Um, and it was just one of those bits, too, that just kept going. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what, what, when Rory and Lorelai have those conversations, you're like, haha, that's a Rory and Lorelai thing. Yeah. And then I was surprised that they brought it again 
brought it up again at Friday night dinner. And then yeah. she's like, Emily, did you know this? Of course I knew this. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Any excuse to make Lorelai feel stupid, though. Yeah, I yeah, definitely. But I just thought it was such a weird thing. Nobody's ever corrected you. No, because we don't talk about this kind of shit with my friend. How long have we known each other? Have we ever talked about a cul-de-sac? Nope. Never. Okay. So, there you go. Unless in this context. But other than that, never. <laughs> I've never spoken about a cul-de-sac. Oh, my God. Anyways, so that was the opening scene. A little tidbit back and forth. And then Met we see you the... Roomsmates, don't forget. <laughs> Roomsmates, yes, exactly. Um, but then we're, we're in the diner and we see that Lane, frog guy is gone and Lane got the job at the diner. Can't imagine why Froggy got fired. Can't imagine. Fucking Brennan. Did you see that thing that I posted about the song that he has on Spotify? Yeah, I'm not listening to that. You can't make me. Please do. <laughs> oh it's God. Okay. Me and my homosexual ears cannot take that. I'm sorry. Just your homosexual ears? <laughs> I, I can't. Anyone's ears couldn't take that. We cannot take it. It's not. It can't happen. <laughs> it is so bad. I can't even describe to you how bad it is. I can. I can imagine. And I don't understand why the Paul brothers are still a thing. What even? What even are? What even is that? What even are that? <laughs> <laughs> what even what? <laughs> you're 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 talking heteros. You're talking heterosexual here. I'm. You're losing me. Logan Paul, Jake Paul. Oh, right. Don't, yeah, they're gross. Yeah, they're he gross. Song, he did the song with one of the Paul brothers. I don't remember which one. They both looked the same to me, concussed and dumb. Yeah. And um, I don't, like, you know, the, hmm, okay, this is the type of thing where I'm like, you're telling me I can't come up with something and become a millionaire like these guys? Yeah. Not that I would want to. Like, we've said so many times, we don't do this podcast for money or whatever. But, I mean, like, my content is way better than their content. For sure. <laughs> and they're worth, like, $50 million. <laughs> so sometimes when I think about that, I get a little bitter. Uh, to be a mediocre white man. A mediocre straight white man. Yes. Um, will never be the case, by the way. But, you know, a gal can dream. <laughs> anyway, so Lane now got the job at the diner. Luke is stressed. Oh, yeah, I love how he's stressed now that he has help, but it wasn't stressed without help. I know. It's just, it's it's so funny because, I don't know about you, but I kind of recognize myself in Luke in this moment. Yeah, like, it, it's funny because I find type A control freaks, they, they recognize that they need help, but they hate asking for it because then they have to either let someone else do it their way or try attempts to teach them to do it your way. And it just doesn't work. Yeah. It's all around stress. I remember I've, I've trained many people, um, before like in my job mm -hmm. and I always feel like I tell them, well, this is how I do it. And then I see them not doing it like that, but still getting done. And I'm like this fucking idiot. <laughs> you know? Like, um, I took time out of my life to teach you and you're not doing it the way that I taught you. Yeah. And I think a lot of like being, um, I don't know, like a trainer, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I don't know. For me, at least, I had to really learn that people have their own styles. And just because they're not doing it the way you would have done it doesn't mean that it's not right. Yeah, I mean, we're talking we're talking about ma managerial styles before we press record today, and I think it, as long as as long as it gets done in a reasonable time and fashion, just yeah. 
you do you, sweetie. Yeah, like we we were just talking about how um, I told Jeffrey I don't think I would have made a good manager um, because so I have two things when I'm actually showing somebody how to do something. Mm-hmm. then it kind of stresses me when they don't do it my same way but as I've grown older I do realize that like as long as the work I think the pandemic really showed me this but as long as the work is being done I don't care how you do it yeah and like what your timetable is for doing it so we were just talking about working from home and how that's really changed the dynamic of work in general mm-hmm. and, um I work from home one to two days a week depending on the schedule and my, I was saying how my boss is very much like, as long as you do your work, I don't really care. Go with the flow kind of thing. And yeah. I think that that would very much be my style as well. Like, yeah. I don't want to sit there and have to police you. Like, you're an adult. You know what you have to do. Just do it, you know? And I think that's, like, the hard, would be, like, the hardest part, at least maybe for me as a manager, is, like, it's already stressful enough for me as a control freak to have to relinquish control and give somebody else a position where they have to do their work. It's like I'm already taking so much of my energy to let to learn <laughs> and let you do it your way and get it done. That mm-hmm. if you're going to act like a child and not an adult, I just wouldn't be able to deal with that. Yeah, I think. Well, listen, there's always people that are going to take advantage. Right. And I think that's that's where you have to be a little bit cautious in that managerial style. Yeah. So when people are like, oh, my boss is really chill. He doesn't care what I do kind of thing, this and that. It's easy to take advantage. Mm-hmm. And I think I wouldn't be able to deal with the fallout. <laughs> like yeah. I talk about the game, but I'd be like, oh yeah, no problem. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> so the thing I love about you is that you come across as like very like bold and aggressive in certain contexts. But then in others, you're just so non-confrontational that I'm like, how does this mesh? How does this go? Okay, well, I'll tell you. Okay, well, here's the thing about that. <laughs> is that in general, I'm very much a confident person who can speak their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, I've... Ugh, okay, so I've had jobs before where people have told me, um, or even some of my family members refer to me as very aggressive sometimes. Mm-hmm. And to me, I don't, I don't think I'm aggressive. I just think I'm assertive. Yeah. So when people call you aggressive, it kind of, at least for me, and I think for a lot of women, it kind of fucks with them a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, Because I remember the first time I really, it was my first job after graduate school, and it was when I lived in New Brunswick, and um, something had gone wrong, and I emailed our IT guy, and he didn't get back to me, and... Like, I had made it known that it was really urgent. And, like, he was kind of dodging my emails and whatever. And then I, w- I became a little bit more firm in my second, my subsequent email. And, like, he went to my boss and told them that, oh, wow, when Eleni wants something, she really wants something. When it's the like, reality... What? I was going to say, which, like, isn't fair. Because I'm not even going to say even if a man did that. Even if, like anybody else did that it's it seems to me that that's on the it guy who's who's not very he's very loosey-goosey you know yeah so the thing was for me it wasn't really being um like just the way i don't know the way he phrased it of like when i want something i want something making it seem like it's for me (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know like i hired you to do work on my house and when i want it i want it no like it was for work 
and mm-hmm. he hadn't been responding to my emails. You know what I mean? So I think ever since then, I've been a little bit um, more cautious. Yeah. Have you ever tweets of like women who are like, oh, I put a bunch of exclamation points in my email so that you don't think I'm aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> or it's funny how like, I don't I know. That like, now though. I was going to say like, it's funny how women of a certain age think that exclamation points make them seem aggressive. But yeah, it, I always I always go back and forth with with um by the way, I think if you ask any woman, she'll tell you what a tedious process writing any kind of email has become become in the office. Yeah. Because I think women in general are hyper aware of how men are gonna perceive them mm-hmm. in these emails. So I know now, like every time I write an email, I go back and reread it eighteen times. And I'm like, where can I add an exclamation point to seem like I'm not threatening? And where can I take one out to seem like I'm not a fucking psychopath? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I love how none of that work is even appreciated because that may misspell your name not out of ten times. Seriously, can you remember? Oh, God, can you imagine? I put so much fucking thought into my emails, and then you hit me back with an alemi. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Or a lemus. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm really glad I spent 45 minutes on this fucking email just for you to screw me over like this. 45 minutes and hi, a lemmy. Hi, a lemmis. All that to say, I really understand Luke. Um, But yeah, I'm very wishy-washy sometimes with my managerial style, too. Whatever. It is what it is. But that being said, Lane is a great fit at the diner. And I, I like how in the last episode she was saying like, oh, I wish I wish I'd known he was looking for someone. Like this is one of the very few Miss Kim approved places. Yeah, we get a little bit of insight. Um, and it, it also for me, I know a couple of weeks I was talking about how I didn't really feel in this in these first couple of episodes that Lane's story was progressing the way I wanted it to. Mm hmm. Um, I felt, you know, I felt like we were coming from a really big place story-wise in season three to kind of just, ugh, blah, eight episodes in and, like, all we see is Lane auditioning band members. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think this, this really gave me hope for mm-hmm. Lane, your storyline. Yeah, like, I think it was definitely a step forward in terms of her... I'm going to say her, you know, (laughs) asserting her place in the show. Like, she was always, she was always there. But I think, like, it just made her more of a town fixture, I find. Like, oh, Lane works at the diner, so Lane's always around, you know? Well, yeah, that's the thing, because we we see them at the diner all the time. So now we're kind of getting the sense that we're going to be seeing more of Lane, just like we see Luke every time we're in the diner. We're going to be seeing Lane now every time we're in the diner, too, you know? Mm -hmm. So it kind of made me excited for future episodes. Yes, and especially, like... We know what's coming next for Lane. So we've well, how, many, how many times through the course of our podcast have we said wait till we get to season four with Lane? Like I know. I've, well, because it's so long overdue, right? Yeah. We we've been waiting for this for so freaking long. <laughs> so you best be best assured that when those episodes arrive, you're gonna wanna you know sit tight and not move because we're having a lot of thoughts. So many thoughts. Okay, one thing I wanted to talk about um, before we get into, like, the substance of the episode mm-hmm. is I think it's the first time I've seen 
and you know me, I've mentioned this a lot. It's the first time I've seen the Lorelai, at least, wear those fucking skinny scarves that I fucking hate so much. (laughs) So, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it seems to be, um, like, it was a thing in the early 2000s for women to wear these very ridiculously skinny scarves. Yes. As like a fashion statement. I'm and not really sure. What, I'm not really sure what the statement was. I don't know what the statement was either. E- either. Either. <laughs> um, but they drive me nuts in this context mm-hmm. because it's meant to be winter in Stars Hollow, or like start. It's after winter break. Yeah. And Lorelai's walking around in every fucking scene in this episode. In this season episode, by the way, she's walking around town. With her winter coat undone and the skinniest, flossiest scarf around her neck. <laughs> and I'm like, what does this protect you against? Not much. Not much. It drives me fucking insane. And I understand they're on the Warner Bros. lot in fucking Los Angeles. I was going to say. <laughs> I get it. But don't set your fucking town in Connecticut then. <laughs> I know. It's, but I think they were trying to like be on brand or stay like stay on top of with like the current fashion at the time, and it's kind of and it kind of got lost in the fact that you're setting your show on the East Coast where winter is very much a thing. So maybe yeah. like bundle up. That's always, by the way, that's just always bothered me about Gilmore Girls that they're supposed to be in like the thick of the snowstorms. Mm-hmm. And it's always like, we're going to go take a nice idyllic walk around town. Like, that's not how snow works. Meanwhile, you know, us in Canada are like, oh, we have to go for a walk? Okay, it's blizzarding outside, so might want to get your big boots on. Yeah, exactly. Like, I've never... God. Because I have a dog, I have to. But before we had the dog, I never was like, I'm going to go take a walk in the snow. It might be great. No. Mm, It's like walking in the trenches in World War I, goddammit. (laughs) Uh, pre-pandemic, I probably would have agreed with you, but I had I oh, just no, forced, during pandemic you have to go out. I just forced myself to go walking regardless of this of the conditions this winter. No, I and, get completely. Um, the day that we recorded our interview with Mike Desenzo, how many times are we going to mention that in this season? Um, but the day we, the day we recorded that interview, it was blizzarding outside. Yeah. And after we recorded, I was like, I had class in the morning. I was just sitting at my table, my kitchen table, all day long on Zoom. I'm like, I need to go for a walk. I don't care if it's blizzarding outside. Yeah. So I just bundled up. And it's funny because I have no problem walking in any kind of cold weather. But everyone else is like, ugh, winter, dead. Oh, listen, I don't mind the cold. I've done it a lot um, going back and forth from school downtown. Um, it's just like, I hate, I hate, hate, hate. When there's been a big snowstorm and they're delaying passing the plows on the sidewalks, especially. Yeah. And like you have to walk by literally, it's literally a march. For sure. Chinese <laughs> in the fucking snow, you know what I mean? And then you yeah. get out and you're sweating, but you're under a coat and you get in the metro and you're sweating even more. Oh, see, you know, that that part of winter I don't miss. But yeah, I fucking hate that. In terms of, oh, I'm just living in my little suburban ignorant bliss. I'm going for a walk in a pandemic. That I can deal with. Yeah. 
I don't know, but I don't miss that. We didn't get a lot of snow in Toronto this year. I think it snowed maybe, like snowed and the snow stuck on the ground maybe twice. Yeah, it was we very, lucky. it was a very, and it was very like up and down winter this year, so. Yeah, definitely. Miss, Miss Rona saw it in her heart for that one. Yeah, well, Miss Rona better take a hike. Anyways, okay. Um, so that was just me venting about the skinny scarves because skinny scarves for fashion, fine, do you? I don't care. Skinny scarves for weather, that's a no-no. <laughs> okay. I, no. And I think we can add skinny scarves to the list of 2000s fashion trends that should not come back. Well, apparently, I did some research. Um, apparently, Gen Z is bringing back the skinny scarf. Oh, fuck them. <laughs> so I, I looked it up. I don't know why I looked it up, but because um, I was just curious about the history of the skinny scarf. Um, and I looked it up and there was an article that said that Gen Z now like doesn't approve of skinny jeans. Did you hear this one? I did. So they're like out with the skinny jeans, um, but low rise jeans are back in. Oh, and, dear. Yeah, and skinny scarves are making a comeback. I was literally just gonna say before we got when we got to, to the uh, Michelle and Tobin part of this episode, I was gonna mm-hmm. say, I swear to God, low rise jeans better not ever come back in style. <laughs> Listen, Michelle looks good with them low low rise jeans. He does, but like we don't we, we can't even we don't even have time to get into the unrealistic body standards that and body image standards that low rise jeans forced upon people, especially. Okay. I have a question for you. When was the last time you wore jeans? Um, funny you ask. <laughs> I forced myself to wear jeans to work a few times. No. Um, over the last few months, but usually I just go for track pants because you know. No merci. Because the last time I was trying to think yesterday about the last time I wore jeans. Mhm. And I I don't know. <laughs> like legit, I have no fucking clue when the last time was I wore jeans. I'm going to say February of 2020. <laughs> I'm curious. I was going to say, I think you wore jeans to my house once to record the podcast. I mean, maybe that yeah, was the last time. We haven't recorded in person since February of 2020. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, I don't remember the last time I wore jeans. But anyways, um, can, we, can we talk about how Michelle is very vulnerable in this episode? I think it shows a bit more of a human side to him in these moments. That's, yeah, that's what I wrote. I mean, listen, we've talked about Michelle before, about how he's always there just for comedic relief and to throw in his little French things and for Lorelai to drive him nuts for our pleasure. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think Tobin coming back, it, like, brought up a bunch of different emotions for him. Yeah, and, like, you can see, that's the thing, is you can see that just beneath, just beneath the surface of... I'm bitchy, I'm sassy, I'm bitter. There's like a lot of a lot of uh, insecurities that are just skin deep. And and it also shows like he genuinely has love for Suki and Lorelai. Yeah, and I think it's because he's spent so long building and perfecting this, you know, facade of I'm I'm bitter and nasty that it's in the it's rare moments where we see that oh he actually does care about us. One hundred percent, and I think. While it does, that caring does come out because of his jealousy, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, just because I, so here, Michelle hates kids, right, apparently? 
Yeah. And I don't like kids either. <laughs> because a friend of mine has a kid doesn't mean I stop caring about the friend because they have a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think they like to tease Michelle, especially the first episode that Davey was born and he had to sit outside because he sneezed. Yeah. I know they like to tease him about, like, you don't like kids and blah, blah, blah. But I think they definitely know that Michelle also has a good heart and his heart is in the right place. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, why else would Suki let him babysit? Yeah, I think it can. <laughs> I love how we didn't get to see the scene where Suki agrees to that. Yeah, I would have loved to see that scene. That would have been, like, just him trying to convince her would have been hilarious, I think. But I think... She probably let him because the, you know, the jealousy caused by just Tobin's presence was, yeah. it, it allowed him to not be, you know, bitter and bitchy for a minute and be like, I actually care about you. I want to babysit your child. Yeah. Or it was either that or the fact that she was just so exhausted and needed a night out. Yeah. With the potato man. The, the farmer or the potato man. <laughs> also, can I just say something? I think... It's 100% accurate for him to call the baby Truman. <laughs> both both Suki, names kind of sound like a, a name they would, they would pick. But that's what child. I was going to say. Suki would 100% name her child Truman. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck he got Truman from Davey, but I like it. And they were considering Colgate, so... Listen, let's not even open it on one. It's not that far a leap from Colgate to Truman. <laughs> no. Um, my brother's baby is due soon, and I'm going to do baby crepe with my baby. My brother's baby. Interesting. Are they, have they chosen a name yet? <laughs> no, they have not. But I'm going to play baby crepe with him. Hopefully not run, like, crepe him into the bed. I was going to say, are you going to, like, projectile launch him underneath some, <laughs> underneath a piece of furniture? Projectile launched him. Relax. <laughs> I don't know how a baby gets stuck under a bed, but anyways... Um, <laughs> that whole thing was really fun. It was, an, it was another side of Michelle that we don't usually see. Because we're usually, we're, we're used to seeing Michelle in his suits at the end being very snippy with the guests. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see him, like, in his outside clothes that he doesn't want his shirt to wrinkle, you know? Yeah, and I also just have to say once more that it's in these rare moments that we get with Michelle where it's just, like, overwhelmingly clear in today's context and probably even... For, you know, more mature viewers in the 2000s, like, Michelle was 100% a homosexual. (laughs) I was going to say, I was actually going to ask you, like, (laughs) watching this for the first time, Mm -hmm. when was it? Like, a couple years ago? We Yeah, it would have been, like, four or five years ago now. Five years ago. So, I know we've talked about Michelle as a straight character before, because they've thrown in all these little tidbits about, oh, the ladies will love it. I'll give the ladies the memo. I have a date, like a nice lady, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) When you watch an episode like this one, Mm -hmm. where there's a lot of stereotypes of, like, watching his carb intake and not wanting, like, having to go to the gym because Suki's feeding him too much Mm -hmm. and taking off his shirt because he doesn't want the silk to wrinkle. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think these stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason? Like, yes, that's the thing. It's just that you you find a lot that, like, stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason, but they're also just true sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, you know what I mean? It's just, yes, it's a stereotype, but also, like, 
you shouldn't feel bad if you are the stereotype. You know, I think we talked about this last time Tobin was here. It was like, if, I think the example I used last time was if, you know, you're Latina and you happen to be a maid, like, okay, that means you are the stereotype, but doesn't mean that you are less, you are less than because you're the stereotype, you know? Yeah. But what I wanted to ask was that, do you, when you see stuff like this, mm-hmm. um, you know, forgetting the fact that it was early 2000s, but when you see stuff like that, is it offensive? Is it, is it, you know, is it, are you just like, whatever, it's a stereotype for a reason? Do you, you know, I don't know what, what goes through your mind, I guess. To me, watching this in today's context, I find it kind of, I'm like, I welcome it because I don't find it offensive necessarily. I don't think these are, I think these are kind of eye roll worthy, laughable stereotypes, whereas like, I found it was, uh, stere- gay stereotypes were a bit, uh, you know, maybe more offensive in Tobin's last episode in season three, where it was like, um, you know, just, oh, like we were given to assume that of course Tobin is gay because he is, he fits all of this criteria of, oh, he's gossipy, click, not even gossipy, he's just, he's just like super effeminate or always giving giving ideas and things to the to the women of how to do of how to run things like just you know the image just by seeing Tobin that like you assume oh okay he's gay and I think it's more I think it's more offensive to 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 then say like oh well maybe he's not it's like no he's whatever I think it's I think it's offensive when people immediately try to force labels on that so like yes as me like me viewing Michelle is like okay of course like in retrospect of course he was a homosexual but like looking like but looking back at it now um i think of it more as okay it's funny because those are those are often traits that gay men have and it's funny to me to watch cuz it's like okay they didn't really want to alienate any viewers on the wb by having an openly gay character at the time and there were so few on television at that time outside of will and grace pretty much so i think it's I think it's it's entertaining to to be like they they threw in a couple of little anecdotes for like for any gay viewers at that time to be like okay like they know they read the subtext they they can read between the lines and see of course Michelle is gay but you know the culture didn't have the language or the guts shall we say to us to you know label him as such right that's what I was gonna say I was gonna ask like whether you think and you answered it whether you think they just threw them in there to be like hey we see you but we can't fully acknowledge you because of the times and because of the network I think it was a combination of that I think for sure I think for sure in in shows like this where before a time when you know being LGBTQ plus on television was more acceptable thanks to like shows from like Schitt's Creek and the like um I think it's more just it's, I think it's entertaining for me to to watch a show from a, like the early 2000s or even before then where it's like they threw in a little something for us that they know, the, like so maybe some writer in the writer's room knew that gay viewers would get it. And it's just like, it's kind of like a subtle, a subtle little tip of the hat to us, even though it's a, you know, a crumb, but we still have right. something, you know? <laughs> no, I get it. Um, all that to say, we love Michelle. Well, you don't love Michelle. But. At this point, like, having rewatched for the podcast, I, I'm more on the love than the hate side. But there are moments where I just want to fucking punch him. Yeah, but we've talked about that, too. There are moments where I want to fucking punch Rory. Doesn't mean that, you know, 
I don't yeah, like exactly. I think it's I think my opinion of a love hate relationship with Michelle when I when I said that that was long before we'd started analyzing the characters to the extent to which that we analyze them now. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, you know what? I mm, I see it now. I, I'm 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 less on the hate side. All right. <laughs> that happens with me whenever I analyze something. Like there's there's books that I've read for school that I just did not enjoy reading it, but as soon as I have to then come up with something intelligent to either write about or say in class and like I can't say that I hated this now because I had to analyze it and now I understand why I didn't like it but I didn't you know what I mean like I just I put so much time and effort into analyzing it that now I don't want to say that I hated it (laughs) yeah well also in a school context it's like you're trying to find fault with things right yeah because that's usually the assignment (laughs) for sure but anyways I digress um okay let's talk about Paris Paris and her new um, late night friend. Her late night friend. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Do they bounce bounce in the bed, do you think? Oh, God. That whole conversation with Lorelai and Rory, where Lorelai's like, oh, so she's doing an older man. He's like, who said do? Rory's just so so blissfully innocent. Yeah, I was about to say, that's just so naive of Rory. You think they're just meeting at night to, like, make out? Really? (laughs) Like, seriously? <laughs> like, do you, think, do you think this is happy days? <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. They're just holding hands on the beach. Like, what do you think is happening? <laughs> anyways, um, so Rory goes back to school early um, and sees Paris, who is supposed to be skiing with Jamie. Mm-hmm. Um, but she sees Paris getting out of the professor's car, and they share a kiss. And then... Um, you know, they're both kind of awkward in that sense, where Paris comes in and she's like, oh, I didn't know you were here. And Rory has seen it, but doesn't want to mention that she's seen it. She's like, oh, I'll get out of your way, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then the night of the, I don't know, what do we call it? Newspaper initiation, newspaper hazing, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever it is, Paris leaves and Rory has to cover for her. Yeah. And that's where Rory's frustration with the whole situation comes out. And... um. My question is, though, when Paris comes back from that night and she desperately wants Rory to, like, ask her about her night. <laughs> she's, like, purposely making loud noise. She's, like, slamming the door. <clears throat> like, oh, what a night. Like, you know. I think we've all kind of done that at one time or another. <laughs> Maybe not, like, come in late and want to make noise, but it's, like, where you, you see someone is, like, not really paying attention to you and you want them to pay attention to you because you want to tell them something. We've all fished for compliments or fished for questions to, like, drop some shit and humble brag. You know what I mean? Like, we've all done that. And if you say that you haven't, you're fucking lying. For sure. We've all done it. But my question is, why does Paris in that moment want Rory to ask her about it? Like, is it something that she's proud of? Like, Rory at this point knows that... Like, it's supposed to know that Paris is still with Jamie, right? Yes. Like, as far as Rory knows, they're in a relationship. And that's... So, so for me, it's just a little bit confusing why Paris would want Rory to ask her why she disappeared. So that, what, she can brag that she's dating an older man while she has a boyfriend? I would say... get it. My take on that is... I think she cares for Asher. <laughs> That's what we'll call him by his name. Ooh. I think she cares for Asher in a way that she 
either didn't care for Jamie or doesn't care for Jamie anymore. And she's just, I think she's kind of has a bit of a euphoric feeling that she wants to express with the people that she loves, e.g. Rory. But it's weird because it's kind of unethical and it's kind of inappropriate. And not to say that should take away from Paris feeling some kind of satisfaction, to, for lack of a better term. That's a horrible word in this context. <laughs> but like, you know, not to take away from Paris feeling on cloud nine. It's just that it's weird because it's wrong for so many reasons. And what's what does she expect Roy to say? Even even if she's gonna say I have I have tea, I need to spill, and then Roy's like, ew, what the fuck, you know? Um. Oh God. I. So I always thought. I don't know. The re- the 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 thing I take away from it is maybe Paris in this. Like, I stand by what I said. I really don't know why you would brag about something like that when you still have a boyfriend and you're doing something wrong and dating a professor, um, sleeping with a professor. Like, I don't, ugh, I don't know. I think maybe on some level, Paris has always kind of followed the rules. Yeah. And, you know, we've known Paris for three years as a high school student, doing everything she was supposed to be doing, working towards her goals. And I think this is Paris's version of letting loose. Yeah. Um, even if it is in the context of, you know, she loves, ugh, she loves Asher. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I think maybe in some twisted, demented way, Paris wants Rory to ask her why she's so happy. You know? Yeah. Like, like it's, never- it's not a ma- yeah, it's like it's not a matter of what's making her happy. It's just that Paris is feeling happy in a way that she hasn't in a while or ever maybe and she wants to just discuss that with someone but Rory's like ew no well because I'm thinking back to season three remember like we have to remember that for a while Rory was the only one that knew about Jamie right yeah Paris would go to her with her problems she was the one that told she told Rory first that Jamie said I love you um, you know, she went to Rory, even though they weren't speaking, to tell her that she and Jamie had sex. You know, so I think for Paris, Rory has always been this confidant. Yeah. And um, even the way Rory handled the whole Jamie thing, um, Jamie Jamie and Paris sleeping together, Rory was really not judgmental. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe on some level, Paris is looking for the same non-judgmental vibe this time around it's not gonna happen (laughs) because in par in rory's mind like sleeping with your high school boyfriend is fine and i think paris kind of wants some validation and to share her happiness but it's not gonna happen because in paris's in sorry in rory's mind is just like ew you're sleeping with a professor and i had to cover for you (laughs) (laughs) yeah like it's for sure uncomfortable for Rory because she's dating a professor and that's either frowned upon or not allowed. I'm not sure. Did they say that it's for sure unethical? I'm not sure if it's like illegal, but I mean, most universities have a policy. <clears throat> yeah. So I don't know if it's, it's, it's for sure unethical. It's for sure inappropriate. Yeah. Um, But like, I also, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable also judging Paris for it like oh I don't no no I'm I'm looking at it strictly from Rory's point of view right now mm-hmm. and I think that 
in Rory's mind, because Rory's still very much at this goody two shoes age. Yeah. Where she still hasn't fucked up. <laughs> oh, just wait. Uh, that's coming real quick. Um, but she's still very much like, oh my god, like, you know, when she's talking to Rory, she's like, what about him? He's throwing his life away. He used to be married. He's throwing his career away for a student. You know what I mean? So she's still very much like, this is wrong. I don't condone this. Um, even if it's for someone who I love, meaning Paris, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think in my mind, Paris is really just looking for a confidant and to share her happiness with somebody. And Rory's like, I don't want to know who you were with, what you were doing, why you smell like pipe tobacco. <laughs> yeah. So like we can see, we can kind of understand Rory's perspective when you put it in that context. But I, I bet it's interesting you bring it up that Rory is still in a very much of a goody two suit, a goody two shoes stage. Yeah. Because it rem just like reminds me of like other shows where there's like a there's where there's a specific character who might be you know, a bit more anal or follows the rules more than other people. And then the people who don't follow rules or who, you know, just try, who just like make mistakes more than, more so than the perfect person does. Um, it's like the, so like Paris, it would be Paris in this context, in this context. So like Paris would then not want to tell Rory things about her life in fear of judgment because Rory's the, would be the kind of person who would just, who just like, who, whose first, who's like, whose first, um, like, whose first thought would be to judge them because they did something that they wouldn't do. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like th that both Paris and Roy are at an age where they haven't had enough life experience yet to know how they feel about things. So I think at this point, obviously, Rory is, like you said, a goody two shoes who, I mean, I mean, like, there is judgment for sure that she's dating a professor, but I feel like if she was, I feel like the judgment kind of subsides a little later, and that's telling for, that's telling for Rory and her personality. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm thinking of my parents and I just started watching New Girl for the first time, and the episode, one of the episodes we watched last night was one where, um, in season, we're, in, we're only in the first season, and it's where everyone finds out that Schmidt and Cece are sleeping together. Mm -hmm. And just, so Jess and Cece get into this whole argument about how, why, you know, like, why didn't you tell me? I thought we were friends. And then Jess kind of finds out that Cece hasn't told her a lot of things because of the way that Jess lives her life and the way that Jess would, would react to people not being perfect and making mistakes and messing up. Yeah. And it kind of, it's, it's just like a moment I find that have happened on a lot of TV shows. Like it kind of, it happened between um, Carrie and Miranda on Sex and the City a bunch of times. Like, I'm not perfect like you. Like sorry, I'm sorry I fuck up sometimes. I think I think growing up, especially like between the ages of, of Paris and, and Rory, I think it's important to have a moment where it's like, okay, I'm not perfect. Like I need to sometimes I need to make mistakes in order to learn how to do things right. Whereas people like Rory, at least at this stage, will just kind of stay in in their comfort zone, won't really want to make mis won't really want to make mistakes in fear of in fear of you know living life, I guess. Yeah, and I think the problem with um, Rory personalities, like the goody two-shoes personalities, is that it's very easy to judge other people when you haven't fucked up. Mm -hmm. um, like, when you haven't made major mistakes, really. Yeah. So, we forget sometimes that Rory's just 19. 
Yeah, exactly. Lived her entire life in Stars Hollow, where everyone thinks the sun shines out of her ass. Yeah. So like, it's it's normal that, um, it's normal that she. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's normal that she judges people, but I think it's normal for somebody who hasn't made a major mistake yet to be um, a little bit more apprehensive in the face of her friend's mistakes. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think that's that's also. I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't help but thinking of how Paris and Rory's relationship differs from Lane and Rory's. Yeah, because I find if, I don't know, it's hard to say. If we're only looking at this this point in time in the show, in, in like only season, the world of season four, I find if like Lane had made a similar, you know, mistake, shall we say, that I think Rory's reaction would have been different because it's Lane and not Paris. Yeah, but I also have to say, I think Lane in general is much less judgmental of Rory. Oh, yeah, for sure. Than Rory is of her friends. You know what I mean? When you think about a friend that you want to confide in, Mm -hmm. I would choose Lane 100% of the time. Yeah, exactly. Because even though Lane is very... So I think Lane is a good balance in that she'll tell you you fucked up but in a way that doesn't make you feel judged. And that's coming up in season five, so I'm not going to go further. <laughs> but I think that Rory's reaction when Paris comes in, I don't know if it's because she's pissed that she had to cover for her or she's pissed because she's thinking about Jamie, um, but, or, if she, or if she really is that judgmental. But I think it's definitely telling... Um, and she's like, I don't want to know what you were doing when with who. And you're like, Rory, just wait. You're going to fuck up, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, not even necessarily to call, um, you know, Paris and, and Asher's relationship a fuck up at this point. I think it's just, I think it's just that Paris is kind of experimenting with adult life and not really sure which path she wants to take. And, like, she kind of, I guess, felt some kind of attraction to Asher for reasons that we'll get into later. But I, I think... I really know where Terrence the life coach is here <laughs> really like for Are, real like this is your fucking job <laughs> guiding her in the right direction at this point I don't think Terrence the life coach would approve of that That's for sure no. like where are you to tell her to stop fucking the professor <laughs> um yeah but like for sure I don't think anyone necessarily would approve of the decision to start dating uh, a six-year-old professor at your, you know, prestigious university. But I think it just symbolizes a choice for Paris that, she, like you said before, it's kind of like this is Paris's attempt to um, let loose and see what happens and not constantly micromanage everything. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah. I do. Have, but we do have to discuss. Um, did Jamie do anything to Paris that would lead her into the arms of another man, or was it just, you know, like was there any? Well, not that we know of. No, because we we, we don't see Jamie. Again. Yeah, and we never really get, we see him later on. Yeah, uh, we do for his last ap- appearance. But I, I, it also kind of as I was rewatching this episode, I haven't seen it in a while, I have to say. But as I was rewatching this episode, I was just I kept thinking about their relationship and what would I was kind of the same way. Like, what would lead somebody who was so happy with this guy, her first boyfriend, um, you know? going from high school where she was talking about how amazing the conversation was having, like we were talking about Russian politics and like her, her parents love me, his parents love me. 
And like, she was, he was the first guy she slept with. Like, I don't know. I, I don't like, I think it's my personal preference as an audience member. I don't like the fact that there was so much left unsaid. Yeah. In their whole relationship. Cause mm-hmm. for all we know, like before, before Paris kisses Asher, we see them kissing at the end of last week's episode. We think that they're still together and they're happy. You know what I mean? Yeah, we all, like we saw them arguing on the phone that time. Yeah, but that's like you would you would assume that that's a typical couple thing that's dealing with long distance. You know what I mean? Yeah. But for all we know, they're still very much in love, and it's still her boyfriend. And the one or two times that we have seen Jamie, he's been nothing but great to Paris. You know, so so for me, like as an audience member, these are the moments where I'm kind of left unsatisfied. Again, terrible choice of word, but. Uh, you know, just with how things rolled out. Um, I would have liked to see more Jamie in this context. I mean, I have to say, why would you... I'm not Paris, and I don't want to... Like I said, I don't want to judge too much. But why would you leave um, a very cute pre-general hospital, Brandon Barish, for a 60-year-old professor? Please. I want... It's not even good-looking. Like, I want to know. Like... (laughs) This version of Jamie, before the actor was on General Hospital, he was not very attractive on General Hospital, in my opinion. But he was attractive now, so you should have taken it. You should have just taken that and ran with it. But also, I think the problem that I have with cheating in general, Mm -hmm. this is just me, is that if your relationship is not working, um, instead of cheating, why don't you break up with the person? Yeah, like, I think... what I mean, because for me, it's more like... At this point, you have Jamie, you left, presumably you left this ski trip early to be with the professor. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you didn't want to be on the ski trip and you don't want to be, clearly that, and you're attracted to this professor and you, you know, and clearly something's not working in your relationship, why would you keep him along for four more episodes? You know yeah. what? Just, I'm, 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 ugh. Honestly, at this point, if we're only analyzing this episode as we are, as we try to do and fail sometimes, so we're trying to only analyze this episode, I think I'm going to have to go with what you said earlier about how Paris was just very much a rule follower, a control yeah. freak, um, you know, men- <laughs> some mental health issues thrown in on top. I think Par- this, this is Paris's version of trying to just do the opposite of what everyone's telling her to do. All right. <laughs> it's just like, I think it's her version of trying to rebel against whatever you know whatever voice in her head that's been telling her to only follow this straight line her whole life yeah I get it but I'm just I'm I think that's just my there have been many instances instances in this show where cheating comes up Mm -hmm. and the thing for me that keeps coming up every time I watch these moments is more like why the fuck wouldn't you just break up with the person because if you're being driven to cheat, clearly something's not working in your relationship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ugh, I don't know. Okay. We're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think the last like, last thing I'll say is I think maybe in terms of rebelling against, you know, the straight line that she's been, that she's been taught to follow, I think maybe for Paris, Jamie represents, you know, the Ivy League pretty boy girl, girlfriend, pretty boy, pretty, like, pretty boy boyfriend that she's like the culture I guess has taught her that she should want to have and should keep once 
she gets him, but now that she's at Yale away from him, it's like she wants to do her own thing. I don't know. Like, yeah, but some... why does your old thing mean fucking a professor? Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. Like, I, but like, I if you didn't of... Jamie anymore because he represented all these things from your world, this preppy boy that you were supposed to marry, Ivy League boy that you're supposed to marry. You know what I mean? Like, rebel with like a biker. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But also, like, we're given to assume that Jamie did nothing to deserve this. So that's me. That's another thing. But anyways, I digress. Um. Let's move on to the main part of the episode, I guess, for me at least. Is it the marzipan? No. <laughs> Which, by the way, I've had marzipan. Nasty. It's fucking disgusting. I'm going to say it's gross. It's fucking gross. Have you, swallowed, have you swallowed your marzipan yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, like, I've had marzipan, and I don't, it's such a rich person thing. It is. It's, it's like, very... <laughs> you know what I compare it to? It's like oysters. Have you ever had oysters? I haven't. Okay. They don't look, they don't look very appetizing yeah, to me. Like a giant booger. Um, oysters are one of those things that, like, are, are a status symbol. Mm-hmm. That they don't taste good to fucking anyone. Or even caviar. Let's say caviar, right? Mm-hmm. But I haven't had caviar, so I don't know. Let's go with oysters. <laughs> Oysters are one of those things that are exclusively made for rich people. Yeah. To show that, like, we have oysters. <laughs> but nobody's fucking eating oysters for the taste. No. Okay? They are purely a fucking status symbol. That's And it's so weird to me that food can be a status symbol. Like, you're not eating this for the food. You're not eating this for the taste or the enjoyment. You're eating this to prove yourself. Yeah. And I'm sorry. The fact that Richard and Emily like marzipan... <laughs> No. No. <laughs> Nobody likes marzipan for the taste. <laughs> oh, it's so decadent. It's fucking gross, Emily. And no amount of shaping it into a fucking pig is going to make me want to eat it. Oh, dear. It's just, it's it's, it's funny, to, it, but it's, it's on brand and it's funny to me that, she, that Emily Gilmore describes marzipan as decadent. Decadent. I know, bitch. It's so gross. <laughs> so tell me, what was the main part of the episode that you were referring to if it wasn't Marzipan? Let's be honest. I fucking hate Marzipan. Um, uh, no, I was talking about Lorla and Jason. Yes, and Cyrus, the weird dog. Okay, so Cyrus clearly has an anxiety disorder. Right? I want to hug him. I just want that dog to run in a field. Yeah. I don't think his legs work. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that fuck, that was fucking weird. Um, no, so Jason and Lorelai are now sleeping together. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of comments about people wanting us to talk about this episode because they wanted to know what our reactions were to Jason's weird quirk of not being able to sleep in the same bed as his lover. <laughs> Okay, so tell me your thoughts on that. Okay, so first let's start with presumably Jason and Lorelai have had a really good date. They go back to his apartment. They're drinking wine. Um, he introduces her to Cyrus, the fucking epileptic dog. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> Poor Cyrus. I don't know what kind of ailment this fucking dog has, but presumably he's been in the same position for 14 years. Um, at this point, he's like a gargoyle from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> I don't, poor fucking dog. I just kept thinking poor dog this whole time. Um, and then they sleep together and 
Lorelai is happy. She seems very happy for the first time in a very long time. She's in a relationship. And then Jason says, I need you to sleep in the guest room. <laughs> and the reason he needs her to sleep in the guest room is because, well, he says he's a very light sleeper and he tosses and turns and he has very bad insomnia and the slightest distraction will keep him awake. Yes. Now, um, I, I, I think it's normal that Lorelai's initial reaction was like to feel like a prostitute, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Like, now that I've had sex with you, like, get the fuck out. Yeah. I think I would have also felt the same way. I don't know, because well, I feel I, like I've... I'm at butt. <laughs> like, I wouldn't necessarily... I don't know. I would say... I think I would feel more like a prostitute or, like, less appreciated, shall we say, if, you know, after... Uh, you know, the bouncing on the bed was finished. Um, he then said, okay, time to go home. Bye-bye. Like, yeah. or not even time to go home. It's like, oh, I, I don't sleep well with people. Do you mind going home? Like, yeah. no, he was he was being upfront. He was saying, like, listen, um, this is nothing against you. I just, I'm a terrible sleeper. I have terrible insomnia. I really hate to do this. But would you... Listen, I think the, the guest bedroom, was, because he's like, just take a look at the bedroom. I promise I'm not being an asshole. I literally want you to stay. I want to make you breakfast in the morning. And I think the guest bedroom, the way he set it up, mm-hmm. confirmation for Lorelai that, you know, he's not being a dick. He really is a light sleeper. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, but I would understand how in the moment after you have sex with somebody and they're like, hey, can you leave the room? Yeah, no, for sure. I understand in the moment Lorelai's like, oh, okay, dick. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. she's she's here thinking like we just had an amazing night we had sex like we're gonna go to sleep and then he's like oh actually (laughs) you know what I mean so I understand where she was also feeling kind of jilted at that point Mm -hmm. but can we talk about this guest bedroom though can I read you what I wrote in my notes about it tell me I'd like to move into Jason's guest room and never leave thank you thank you (laughs) (laughs) oh this guest bedroom come on like you picked the right you picked the right room for the right girl. Right? Like, <laughs> like, hundreds of DVDs with a built-in television, a jacuzzi tub with a loofah and Kiehl's products. Like you know what? I, you, mini bar with hooch. That mm. hooch was hilarious, by the way. But I mean, like, come on. I'd like to see. I'd honestly like to see the DVD collection. I mean, it wouldn't be conditional, but I'd love to see the collection. About <laughs> when she slid into those silk sheets. <laughs> and laid back against those pillows I was like ah. Oh. <laughs> have you ever slept on silk sheets I have because I haven't and I feel like I would just it would just be a slip and slide I don't know it is very slippery <laughs> <laughs> but I have I remember um when I went to Austria mm-hmm. um there was a newly built hotel that we managed like it was it, it had just opened two weeks prior to us going so they were having these really ridiculously low sales for the hotel, I guess, to get the word out. Yeah. And it was like a five-star hotel, and we got it for something ridiculous. Like, it was cheaper to stay in this hotel than to stay in a, in a hostel, imagine. Yeah. I don't know if there was, like, a mistake with their booking system or whatnot, but it was amazing. And I remember, um, yeah, they had silk sheets in the bed and um, a pillow bar. Oh, my. 
So, like, if you rang them up and said, like, can I have a pillow selection for tonight? They would bring you a cart of pillows. I would love that, because I hate hotel pillows half the time. They're all, like... And they would give you um, a lavender um, scented pillowcase to help you fall asleep. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was insanity. I will never again stay in some so, stay somewhere that fancy. And I'm sure if I looked up the name of the hotel now, they're either bankrupt or they're like charging five hundred dollars a night. <laughs> um, but I remember we got it so for some like for three nights. I remember we paid um a hundred and thirty euros total. Wow. For three nights. And I remember being like, oh my god, we're gonna walk in. It's gonna be decrepit. No, it was amazing. <laughs> So I have slept in silk sheets, um, probably never will again, because I'm not that fancy, but <laughs> it looked so good when she's like slept into that bed. Oh my yes. God. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I would like to move there and never leave. Thank you. Oh my God. First of all, his entire apartment is gorgeous. I mean, um, I, I would date that man for his apartment. I really would. One, yo, 100%. I'm not about dating a man for his apartment. <laughs> Especially in Toronto when I have to pay so much fucking rent. True. Let's be honest. I would... Go get that guy that I'm looking at right now out of my window. <laughs> Sir, come share an apartment with me. Is he even attractive? Let's split the rent. I'm too far up. I don't know. Let's, <laughs> let's split the rent, sir. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus. I know Lor- I know Lorelai likes to pretend that she's this independent woman who doesn't need a man and has made a life for herself. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest. Part of Jason's appeal is that fucking bedroom. It really is. I would honestly, like, we can, you know, we can just have the pleasure, and then I'm coming into the room, just leave me alone. You want to sleep by yourself? Go right ahead. (laughs) Why can't you just say have sex? Okay, yeah, we can do that. (laughs) We will have one night of ecstasy. (laughs) Have sex. What's the problem? (laughs) <laughs> I like Downs in the Bed, though. Downs in the Bed was the best one. <laughs> um, okay, so what do you think of Lorelai getting jealous that Jason brought another lady to the charity event? Um, I'm kind of with Jason on this one. Yeah. Because, like, he he asked multiple times, I, can we just date in public? I don't like keeping secrets. Your parents, yeah. your, I promise your parents won't care, which is wrong. But he gets it um Jason I promise you they will care yeah they will care but I I get what he says at the end like you know I'm an important businessman I need to I need to go places I need need to bring a date otherwise it looks bad which Mm -hmm. is you know shitty and heteronormative but we'll allow it like I understand what he's coming from in that he has to have someone on his arm because that's just the look in business I guess at this time yeah and he literally offered Lorelai that seat and several times. And she's like, no, I don't want to rock the boat with my parents, whatever dumbass immature reason she gives. And so like he explains that it wasn't really physical with the, with the other person. It was just like, I needed a date and you said no. Yeah. I kind of like the way he handled the whole situation. Yeah. So he stops by the inn and she's very cold with him. And he's like, well, yeah. did I do something wrong? He's like, I don't know. You told me. He's like, listen, <laughs> I gave you multiple opportunities to yeah. date, like to come with, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I kind of like that he didn't back down. He wasn't like, I'm sorry, you know, because he really, he didn't do anything wrong. Let's be honest. Yeah. So um, I kind of like that he didn't bend to her. 
Yeah, like I find I'm not gonna say all of Lorelai's old boyfriends, but like I find that if it if it had been any other man, they kind of would have just said, "Oh, you know, I'm sorry." But Jason was like, "Um, no, bitch, we've had this conversation." Yeah, and I think that's why, um, you know, we we often have this conversation of like, why don't people like Jason? I love Jason for the fact, like, this is an, a prime example of why I love Jason. Mm-hmm. So I think he gives as good as he gets and vice versa. Yeah, exactly. Like, he can handle Lorelai mm-hmm. in a way that I think a lot of her other boyfriends couldn't. Mm-hmm. And that's why I appreciate him a lot, you know? Yeah, especially in this, I was, especially in this context, like, the way that Lorelai, by definition... Her brand is just being immature and bad at communication. Exactly. Whereas Jason was like, um, no, I explained this to you. Exactly. This, you know, like he he kind of he like you said he can handle Lorelai, but he can also like call her out on her bullshit. Exactly, and I think a lot of her boyfriends, Christopher included. I know a lot of people say Christopher and Lorelai were easily like very greatly matched or whatever the fuck people say, which I think is wrong. But like, no, this is one of those relationships where. Jason's not going to take your shit. Yeah. And I like that he doesn't apologize to her. Yeah. Because really there's nothing to apologize for. And I feel like, again, I feel like any other guy, maybe someone more, a little closer to Lorelai's maturity level would have gotten sucked into the whole, well, you didn't tell me, blah, 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 blah. And they'd be just like inclined to apologize just to keep the peace. Whereas Jason's like, no, please listen to me. Exactly. Yeah, no, I really like this part of Jason. Um, and that's why I've always liked him as uh, a boyfriend for Lorelai, because he doesn't deal with her shit. Yeah. And exactly. a lot of it, usually. Right? <laughs> um, you know, how many times on this podcast have we said that Lorelai is just being so fucking immature? Um, uh, we should, can't even count, but we should just rename the podcast Lorelai is an immature <laughs> baby. <laughs> um, but no seriously so I I know a lot of people don't like Jason or are indifferent to Jason I would urge these people to reevaluate some things yeah um, because you know you don't always need a person that's just gonna go along with what you say don't you want a challenge sometimes in your relationship yeah what what are the reasons that but people challenges you I should say <laughs> what are the what are the reasons that people give for not liking Jason is because like in the end he he sues her father or what I mean, a lot of people just tend to think that they give that bullshit reason that Lorelai gives mm-hmm. from her hood. Okay, well. Well, you know, just because somebody's from her hood doesn't mean anything. But okay, also, well, by that standard, Christopher's from her hood. Yeah, well, a lot of the reasons, a lot of the other reasons I've seen online is a lot of people saying, well, if you're going to date somebody from your hood, quote unquote, who knows you so well, it should be Christopher because you have a kid together. Okay, no. No. <laughs> Thank you. Like, fuck off. Okay? Yeah, that I think we've debunked several times over the course of... Debunked it, like we're politifact. <laughs> <laughs> we've, uh, you know, we've, ni- we've nipped that in the bud several times, so I'm not, not gonna even going to dignify that. <laughs> it's definitely not going to fly here, okay? Ugh, losers. Anyways, okay. Uh, anything else for this episode? Um, I, what else do I have that we didn't talk about? Um, I love how <laughs> Richard and Emily use their house for a walking tour. Like, of course they would use their house for a walking tour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was kind of disappointed in the whole Gilmore storyline this week. 
Mm-hmm. Only because, so on its, like, at, on the surface, let's say, things mm-hmm. are kind of back to normal. Yeah. But I think as I rewatched it yesterday, so I was expecting a whole, maybe not a blow up, but for them to be very cold to each other and maybe like, I don't know, if the writers wanted to mention what had happened the week before with Penelin Law, I don't know. Um, I, I guess I was just expecting more. Yeah. But as I rewatched it, you can kind of see how they're really not jiving the way they usually do. Mm-hmm. Is it just me? I think um, I think something's been off ever since the Atlantic City trip. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We said it the first time around when they came back from Atlantic City. You can tell Emily wasn't with it. Um, but I don't know. I was watching this episode and I think it was a really good job by the writers. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they're not going to have a big blow up because that's not the Gilmore style. Yeah. But Emily is definitely being colder to Richard and she agreed to this. And they were supposed to be done by five, and Richard's, like, losing his cool. He's like, we are not actors. He's so yeah. insulted. I know. He's so fucking insulted. Um, and, you know, presumably Emily agreed to this without telling Richard. And Richard's like, this is the last time. Like, he's putting his foot down. Mm-hmm. And Emily's like, okay, whatever you say. Like, not really listening. So I think it was a really subtle way of doing it, but it was effective. Yeah, it, it's like just a little, I like when they can do little Gilmore anecdotes um, in terms of just like something bougie that only Richard and Emily would do. And like that's for sure a walking tour with the historical society or whatever. But can we be honest, Lorelai's face when she's at the door, like, um, like, where's your ticket? I don't have a ticket. <laughs> when, when that be you going to your parents' house? If they, I don't have a ticket. Like, what tickets? I live here. I grew up here. <laughs> so funny um i have two other things in my notes uh two lip two small things uh one i love that michelle knows fonzie trivia I love he's, like, it. he's like uh fonzie did not use the bathroom for any business for which he was paid and then lists other places he uses offices throughout the show um and i think but i think uh my favorite part of this episode is the very end that girl who left her purse who left her purse on the bench just like <laughs> she's like, oh my gosh, my purse, and she's like a mess. And she's, <laughs> I swore myself, this mess is gonna be different. I think every college university student has had a moment like that. I was about to say, every time there's a new, well, every time there was a new semester, I was like, this year I'm gonna do all my readings. I'm not gonna leave things last minute. And then like a week into school, I'm fucking a slob on the couch, being like, what readings? <laughs> yeah, that lasts about a week at at, at the most. At the most, I, I would say it lasts like three days. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, no, not with it. Um, definitely can relate to that girl. Yeah, so all I wrote my notes with that was that girl who left her purse on the bench, dot, 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 an icon. <laughs> I'm with you there. <laughs> I wonder how she's doing now. Hopefully, hopefully good. You know, I, actually, I keep her in my heart, that girl. <laughs> definitely. Um, and my favorite quote from this episode in terms of pop culture references, there was many, as there are in every episode. But my favorite line and my favorite quote is Jason referring to how much he is not attracted to the girl he was, you know, quote unquote, dating behind Lorelai's back. Crystal. <laughs> Crystal. She thinks Babe can actually talk. Yeah. That's not great. Babe the pig cannot talk, ladies and gentlemen, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> By the way, I recently 
found out that there's a babe too? I think there's a, might even be like three of them. I think it's a trilogy. Don't quote me on that, but there's se- I think there's several. Okay, so recently I don't know why, but we were having a conversation with my boss where he said like in babe I don't know what we were talking about, but um he was like babe two where pig in this where there's a pig in the city. And I was like, excuse? I think yeah, I think I've heard of that actually. So babe the second babe, by the way, is literally called Pig in the City. <laughs> and he was my boss is so funny. He's like, Don't ask me why he's in the city. I don't know what business he's attending to. <laughs> yeah. But no, ladies and gentlemen, babe cannot talk. I think the last time I saw Babe, I was probably a toddler. I don't remember what it's really about. I don't know if I want to. I mean, you are a Violet Stewart Little hater, so I wouldn't recommend Babe. Fuck Stewart Little. Well, it's an insult to my childhood, but, you know. Him. That's what we do here. (laughs) We just insult each other. (laughs) Even though both Stewart Little soundtracks are amazing, please go listen to them. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Please don't do that. Where can they follow us? You tell them. No, don't make me tell them. You literally know. You used to do it all the time. Now all of a sudden you're like, I don't remember. I actually legitimately don't remember. Okay, fine. I'm being rude. But wait, I will attempt it. Are you ready? Yes, go ahead. On Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. Yes. And on Twitter at Gilmore Podcast. And should you feel the need to email us, you can do so, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. And that is all for this week. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye.